0: So many of the VCs have great educational content about the metrics that matter in B2B SaaS. If you just spend an hour a week kind of following two or three great thought leaders or learning about one metric from a venture capital website, you're going to be so much better informed and you as that head of marketing or head of sales or head of product are also going to be positioned to be that CEO of the future.
1: Are you an overwhelmed SaaS founder, ready to make the leap from leading a team to leading an organization? Join us each week as we refill your think tank with actionable tips and strategies from great business minds you know and those you don't know yet. This is SaaS Fuel with your host, five-time entrepreneur, SaaS founder, and globetrotting adventurer, Jeff Maines.
2: Welcome back to the Sounds Fuel Podcast, where we make New Year's revolutions. I'm your host, Jeff Maynes. Well, revolutions, what does that mean? Well, we want to keep the good and turn around and do it all over again. We want to learn from our mistakes and retry new innovative solutions and want to keep that revenue flywheel spinning. Revolutions. So I hope your week is going great and you're off to a fantastic 2023 already. So did you do any big celebrations, anything fun? Let me know. Now spend it with family for the most part, like we do almost every year. Uh, I have friends who go down on a Caribbean dive trip and celebrate New Year's Eve underwater on a night dive. So popping champagne corks uh, at depth at midnight on New Year's Eve. No, you can't actually drink champagne underwater, but they do. So, yeah, thinking about doing that next year. So does that sound like fun? Would you be up for that? Or is that just like weird? Is uh, is diving weird? Is doing it at night weird? Or is like just doing that for New Year's weird? I think it sounds fun. So interested to know what you think about that. Well, speaking of weird, today is National Fruitcake Toss Day. Yep, last week we talked about fruitcakes. And this week it's uh, it's time to get rid of them. So maybe some ideas. You could simply throw it away kind of boring uh, you could toss it into the composter or maybe a big old compost pile and hopefully it will turn into valuable compost for your plants in the spring or if not you could dig it back up and re-gift it next year uh, you could invite your friends and bring them over slice it up and eat it and if you listen to last week's episode you know i'm kidding yeah and besides you wouldn't do that to a friend Uh, You could hold a fruitcake toss party, invite everyone you know to bring their fruitcakes to the party, create unique and ingenious ways to destroy them, maybe launch them with a catapult, give prizes to anyone whose fruitcakes prove to be indestructible. So what other ingenious ideas do you have for destroying fruitcakes? Just curious there. Well, here's a better idea with friends than fruitcakes. You can join today's sponsor, Champion Leadership Group, at a virtual meetup for SaaS founders, called Navigating Success Together. Learn four key ways to keep growth going in uncertain economic times, including a master-level strategy called the Yes Box. More importantly, this will be a focused time to build relationships with fellow SaaS founders, up-level leadership skills for the new year, and mastermind solutions with those on the same SaaS building journey as you. It is completely free for SaaS founders. Get all the details at NavigatingSuccessTogether.com or it's at the top of the SaaS Fuel page under resources. Just look at events and there it is, Navigating Success Together. In last week's episode, we talked with two SaaS founders and experts about AI-assisted decision-making and utilizing corporate tribal knowledge. You know, better decisions make better outcomes. We follow that up by talking about optimizing productivity and schedules with health tracking and machine learning. Fascinating perspectives and insights during the last episode of 2022. So if you missed it, grab yourself a Twix and go check it out. And if you heard last week's episode, you you know all about Twix, right? My guest this week is Ray Reich, a SaaS executive with five exits. And one of the best SaaS operations people I know, and I know a lot of people in the SaaS space. He's been in the the subscription software game for 30 years and is currently founder and CEO of RevOps Squared. Ray combined his experience with just fantastic analytical talent to enable B2B SaaS executives to make metrics-informed decisions by adding context, leading to better revenue performance. He's also the host of the podcast, Metrics That Measure Up. Welcome, our very first guest in 2023, a true legend of RevOps, Ray Reich. Hey, Ray, welcome to Fuel. Hey, I'm excited to be here. It's great to have you. Tell me a little bit about your, your background and how you came up with the idea of RevOps Squared. Okay, so I've got about 30
0: years of operating experience in subscription software companies, and a lot of people who have been around SaaS for a while. It's like, well, wait a minute, SaaS has I've been around for 22 years. How's that? Uh, my first eight years was at the world's largest provider of time-sharing applications, which are multi-tenant applications hosted on mainframes accessible via our global private network at a division of GE about a billion dollar division so i had customers like apple and toyota um, motor cells where they ran their entire dealer communication system and distribution network on our hosted apps on a annual subscription plus usage-based pricing model sound familiar yeah it does so um so then I had a series. I did seven different um, companies in Silicon Valley over 25 years, um, five exits, um, three strategic, um, one IPO, and one private equity, and had two total burndowns. So it's kind of about, you know, pretty good hit record, I guess, but I learned more from the the successes and the burndowns than I did from anything else. And about sure. two, three years ago, um, I was... I decided to take a leap and do my own company because I've always worked for VC-backed companies. So I said, I believe that metrics and the associated benchmarks are the best way to inform decision-making for a fast-growing SaaS company. I also believe that metrics provide a great alignment foundation between the organizations responsible for customer acquisition retention, and expansion, marketing sales, and customer success. So I really wanted to provide the industry's largest and first interactive and real-time benchmarking database to help gain alignment and inform decision-making.
2: That is really interesting. I I think that's something that really makes a lot of sense all the time. Good metrics always make sense, but especially now as we're moving into maybe a a new era of SaaS and, and maybe company valuations. So, what have you seen like benchmarks that that really make a difference? You know, what you have a podcast metrics that measure up. You know, what are some of those metrics that tell whether a company measures up to what investors are looking for?
0: And and also, I'd say they um, create or preserve the fuel to continue your growth. Right. So, a little absolutely a little shout out here to SAS fuel. Um, <laughs> well, the importance of certain metrics change as macroeconomic and markets change, public stock markets and private VCs. Uh, Example, a year ago, if you looked at the impact of top-line growth, whether that's revenue growth or ARR growth, it was the number one factor that impacted enterprise value to revenue multiples. And you use something called an R-squared, and I won't bore your listening audience with that, but R-squared is um, a value that determines one variable's impact on another variable. So growth was the number one variable that impacted enterprise value. Today, it's Rule 40. Now, Rule 40 is really combining growth rate and profitability, operating profitability, And where it was only about a 0.13 out of a zero to one scale impact on enterprise value a year ago, it's now 0.52. It's even bigger than growth rate was a year ago. So balanced growth, measured by Rule 40, is more important than ever. Now, let's be fair. If you're less than $20 million, it's not as impactful. It's when you get to that $20 to $50 million and above run rate that Rule 40 is such a key metric. Now, there's one other metric, and I don't want to just drone on about metrics here, but um, a lot of you listening out is probably has heard, have heard of net dollar retention or net revenue retention. And Correct. That at a cohort of SaaS customers from an accounting period ago, let's say one year ago, and how much ARR are they driving today? And that includes from that cohort of customers, let's say it's 100 customers, you got to include churn. So customers who churn in the associated ARR, those who downsold, they went from 100 seats to 70 seats. So they reduced 20K in ARR, but also it includes upsells, cross-sells, and organic expansion ARR. And a, um, a benchmark at meeting is 105%. So that says if you did a million dollars last year with this cohort of customers, you should be doing a million dollars in 50,000 this year. But best in class organizations now are looking at 120% being the floor. So, if you had a million dollars of ARR last year, that same exact cohort of customers, not factoring in any new ones, should be doing 1.2 million of ARR. So, it's a great way to fuel growth without having to invest a lot of money on new logo acquisition.
2: And that makes a lot of sense. Um, CAC is something else that did you hear a lot about client acquisition cost, customer acquisition cost, and and that's also different whether it is uh, an upsell, cross sell uh, versus new logos. Is that correct? It is correct,
0: but the question is, come on, Jeff, how do I measure that? Right. So, and and by the way, there's no standard definition of what customer acquisition cost is in the SaaS industry. And it's one of the that's reasons. True. One of the reasons we actually just um, are getting ready to launch the SAS Metric Standards Board on January 2nd, 2023, where for the first time there's an industry initiative trying to tackle exactly how you define these. But let's go into CAP because that's one of the first five metrics that we tackled on the SAS Metric Standards Board. So most people would say, okay, let's take your fully loaded sales and marketing costs and divide it by the number of new customer logos. So that gives you customer acquisition cost. And there's a couple nuances or considerations you should think about when you're calculating CAC, just customer acquisition costs. And we'll get into right. the efficiency of CAC in just a minute. Um, are 100% of your fully loaded sales and marketing costs or expenses allocated to the pursuit of new name customers? Maybe not. You may allocate X percent to um, existing customer expansion. So that wouldn't be part of your customer acquisition costs. So that's one right. thing to think about. Now, then there's the efficiency of acquiring a new customer, which is what customer acquisition costs is supposed to measure. Um, well, how much money did I spend to acquire those 20 new customers last quarter? So the CAC ratio, customer acquisition cost ratio, we believe and we recommend to all our clients is the best metric to measure customer acquisition, efficiency. And the calculation there is you take your fully loaded sales and marketing expenses, and you divide it by the amount of new ARR from new logos. So if you invested a million dollars of sales and marketing expenses after pursuing new customers, right, and you divide it by a million dollars of new ARR, you'd have a CAC ratio of one. So that's really the inverse of the SAS magic number. SAS magic number puts the revenue on top, the revenue growth quarter over quarter, and the expenses on bottom. But Jeff, here's the most important thing about CAC ratio. You don't just calculate it for your overall ARR growth by your overall sales and marketing expenses. Right. You get it down into existing customer expansion ARR. So I use a million dollars only because it's so easy to do the math in my head, right? So let's say you expanded your existing customer ARR, no new, no new customers, by a million, and you invested, let's say um, $400,000 of your sales and marketing expenses to the pursuit of existing customer expansion. So 400,000 divided by a million is 0.40. So you only spent $0.40 of sales and marketing to acquire $1 of existing customer expansion ARR. Now, you compare that to how much did it cost you to get $1 of new name customer ARR? So in that same example, let's say you got um, $600,000 of new ARR, but you invested a $1 million of your sales and marketing expenses to get that um, new customer ARR. So then you take a million divided by six hundred thousand, and then you're going to have a, I think, if I'm not mistaken, a dollar and sixty-seven cents of sales and marketing expense to get one dollar of new ARR. And that ratio is about right. You're going to spend two point five times more to get one dollar of new name ARR versus existing customer growth ARR.
2: And that makes a lot of sense, that going after those new logos is more expensive. But even in that example, that seems like a, a lot to me. And maybe it's, it varies from one company to another. But it seems a lot for me to increase the existing clients' ARR, uh, you know, putting those dollars in. So how do we think about that efficiency? Uh, you know, what, what's good? Is, is there a way that we can compare what we do uh, as a company to what somebody else does, maybe in a similar size or revenue range?
0: There is, there's great benchmarks out there, and we'll talk about that in just a minute, but let me kind of just circle back to that new name customer CAC ratio versus existing customer expansion CAC ratio. It's not just about decisions on how do I allocate my sales and marketing expense to the pursuit of each one of those. It may have product decision ramifications. Let's say, oh, I currently have two products. Well, maybe I invest a million or two million into a third product that I can sell into my existing customer because it's 2.5 times more efficient. Or maybe I do different pricing and packaging. Maybe I create a new premium package, right? So that customers can organically kind of, by using the product more, go into another package and it gives you almost free expansion ARR right so pricing packaging and product decisions are going to be driven by the cac ratio now to your point jeff the cac ratio for a company that has a 5k product is very different than if they have a 100k product so how, how do i know the cac ratio for those two right um so there are great benchmark research out there that you can look at um one of the oldest in the industry is the key bank capital markets annual benchmarking survey. So you just go to KeyBank Capital Markets and they break it out the CAC ratio by company size and by ACV. Um, my company, RevOps Square, has taken a little bit different orientation. We believe that these benchmarks should be available real-time interactively across any specific attribute that's unique to your company, including not only company size and um, ACV, but also your product category, because cybersecurity is different than a vertical industry app, but who you're selling to, because if you sell to an enterprise customer, you're gonna have a different CAC ratio than if you sell to an SMB company. Um, Even financing source, you will have different efficiency metric benchmarks if you're VC backed, a little more focused towards early stage and high growth than if you're private equity backed, which is geared towards balanced growth a little bit later stage. Or if you're bootstrapped or angel-funded, you might be forced to be profitable so you have even a different benchmark. So our site is called saskpibenchmarks.com, saskpibenchmarks.com, and thank you for asking this question, because anyone can go there 100% free, just provide their company profile attributes, all anonymized, it's not about their company name, it's their size, their ACV, their product category, and they can see how their internal SAS performance metrics measure up to the benchmarks for their light company cohort.
2: And we will make sure and, and link that in the show notes. So if, if that's something that is of interest to, to you and as a SaaS founder, I mean, it's absolutely of interest to me and uh, should be to listeners as well. We'll link that in the show notes so you can go there and, and see how your company compares. Thanks for that. Uh, I, I love that resource that's available.
0: It's 100% free because my my passion is to help founders, CEOs, and operating executives understand how they measure up, so it can help inform
2: their decisions. That's really good. How many companies do you have in that uh, that cohort now? <clears throat> that well, we've
0: been doing um, these syndicated benchmark research programs for about two and a half years. Overall, we've had 13,500 approximate um, unique companies participate in our benchmarking research. Um, we have 15 different categories of benchmarks. So it's not just the SaaS performance metrics that impact enterprise value, the ones we've been talking about, but we've done them in partnership with um, Gainsight, where we have a customer success benchmarking index. So what percentage of revenue are companies investing in customer success? How do they measure the return on investment of customer success? Um, We've done similar ones with, excuse me, with exactly Um, exactly, which is known as an incentive compensation platform, they now have a revenue intelligence product. So we benchmark the state of revenue intelligence. How accurate do people forecast? How often do they forecast? Who's responsible for forecasting? Now, for the metrics we've been talking about the first 10 minutes of the show, um, that in 2022, we had 878 SaaS companies Give us those enterprise value creating benchmarks, which is still the industry's largest data set for those specific metrics.
2: And it's just unbelievable to me that that's free. That is absolute gold.
0: It is. And the thing I'll say about benchmarks, kind of, you know, I was trained at GE where we benchmarked everything, right? Um, Benchmarks, just like metrics, aren't absolutes. They're not 100% accurate. An example Um, the way company A calculates net dollar retention might be a little bit different than company B, right? So, but benchmarks are directionally very instructive and insightful. And it's also the reason why you want to, over time, have benchmarks be based upon metrics that have standard definitions so that the benchmarks are even more statistically um, relevant.
2: And that makes sense because you're right. There are a lot of different ways. You'd think that that something you know, even COGS, would seem like it, it's really simple to calculate. But you know, you go from one company to another. What goes in? What goes out? How do you how do you treat development costs? How do you treat sales costs? What do you do with sales commission? Oh, so in all of those things. And and by the way, you know, you, you tee me out for so many
0: great discussion points, and we don't have enough time to go into detail on all of them. Nor. Is there one right answer, right? I'll give you cost of goods sold. You know, traditionally, people put a lot of their um, direct costs, whether that's their cloud service infrastructure or if they have their own data center, their servers, their network, et cetera. They almost always will put customer support in your cost of goods sold. But then you have customer success. Well, wait a minute. What's customer success responsibility? Well, first of all, they typically help onboard, train, and get engagement and product usage for new customers. That's right. a voice going into cost of goods sold. But then you have their maybe answering some how-to oh. questions on a product. Traditionally, that would be in support, so that's cogs. Well, wait a minute. Maybe they're helping create cross-sell and upsell opportunities. And in fact, 18% of the time, customer success is responsible for actually closing upsell and cross-sell opportunities in SaaS companies. So that's an operating expense. So that goes into CAC and doesn't go into COGS. So I say that for your listening audience, just to be aware of what's the most common things that go into COGS, and then just be consistent. And if you're going to raise a round of funding, make sure you're prepared to tell the potential investors, here's how I create and calculate COGS. Or here's how I create and calculate net dollar retention.
2: I think that's really important that there isn't one right way, but you need to have uh, be able to defend the way that you do it or be able to explain. Maybe that's a better way to put it, but it, it is. I mean, you have to defend the way that you do it because you, you see it so many different ways.
0: And that's why even best-in-class companies who are, you know, getting funded by a new potential investor, the investor won't just look at your current metrics and say, oh, okay, your, your net dollar retention is 108%. That's good. They'll ask for the source data to see in their calculation formula and model what the net dollar retention is.
2: So is that one of the things that the standards board is trying to to help define or provide some, some guide rails? Around? Yeah,
0: and by the way, the fact that you mentioned kind of those you know guides or guardrails, really important, Jeff. Um, we cannot, as an industry standard-setting organization, issue mandates. We'll not FASB. We're not talking about ASC 606 or GAP, right? These are guidelines. But um, two things I'll say. Number one, even though we're defining here's our recommended calculation formula and every standard, we're providing the nuances and considerations, Um, For everyone. So the first five we're going to publish in January are the contracted ARR, CAR, C-A-R-R, sometimes people call it committed ARR, even (laughs) contracted versus committed, we had to clarify.
2: (laughs) Um, That's great. ARR,
0: which is not necessarily contracted, is often calculated as your MRR times 12. Right. Customer acquisition cost. And then gross dollar retention, net dollar retention. We're throwing in logo retention because logo retention can be more instructive for people who sell to SMBs with a product under 1K where gross dollar retention, which measures retention on an aggregate ARR basis, much more instructive for someone selling 50K or 100K products where a couple customers might be 300K and a few more might be 25K. And you lose one of those 100K, it's much more impactful than if you lose 125K. Correct. Now, the other thing that we've done with the SAS Metrics Board is, right, who are we? Well, the founding members are pretty well known as far as being benchmark and metrics leaders, including David Spitz, who's the founder of the Key Bank Capital Market Survey, Todd Gardner, the founder of SAS Capital, the first ARR lending based facility, the second oldest benchmarking survey in the industry. Um, Lauren Kelly, the founder of OPEX Engine, now owned by Bain Consulting, the industry's oldest benchmarking platform, and Ben Murray, the SaaS CFO, who's got almost 45,000 SaaS CFOs and VPs of finance who follow him. So they're the founding members of the SaaS Metric Standards Board. But we wanted to be able to amplify the adoption of the standards we're publishing even broader. So on our advisory council, we brought in great industry influencers, such as Chelsea Stoner, the general partner at Battery Ventures. Um, Mary D'Onofrio, who's the partner in charge of the growth stage fund at Bessemer Ventures. Dave Kellogg, who's the probably Yoda of SAS Metrics. And anybody who doesn't follow Dave at kellogg.com. Yes. Um, Alka Tandon, who's the CFO of Gainsight, but also on the CFO Council at Vista Equity, one of the biggest private equity firms. Um, David Apple, who's the um, Executive in charge of the SaaS industry vertical at Sage Intact, the number one financial platform being used in the SaaS industry, and then Ryan Morrison, who's not only a general partner at Founder Circle Capital, but the lead or uh, leader of the CFO circle, which has 300 SaaS CFOs and a kind of this biometation only community that opine and discuss these type of issues. How do you define net dollar retention all the time? So you're seeing how we're using industry thought leaders to help amplify what we're doing at SAS Metrics Standards Board even more. And by the way, for the people listening to this podcast after January 2nd, you can visit um, sasmetricsboard.com, sasmetricsboard.com, to see kind of a little bit about becoming a member of the SAS Metrics Board, but also the first five standards we're publishing.
2: That's fantastic. We'll make sure and have a link to that as well. Thank you. So what mistakes have you seen companies make in in metrics or reporting that maybe affected uh, an acquisition or a funding deal?
0: Ooh, that that caveat that infected a financing deal makes it (laughs) a little harder. Um, Let me see if I can put these into three categories. So number one, that they don't calculate some of the primary metrics that a series A, series B, series C investor is looking for. So you need to know what the most common metrics are. And earlier than you think is required, instrument and start capturing the data to calculate those metrics. And that's number one, people aren't capturing the right metrics. Like right now, growth efficiency is so important. So if you don't know for a dollar of investment you put in sales and marketing, predictably how much. New ARR or existing customer expansion AR are you getting? I've seen that derail deals. Number two, your calculation formulas aren't somewhat standard. Or you can't defend why you do it that way. Example, CAC payback period. CAC payback period looks at um, the amount of new ARR that you're bringing on board and um consideration of sales and marketing, but a gross margin justifies the ARR. So if you brought in a million of ARR and your gross margin is 70%, that's only $700,000 of ARR that contributes to the cap payback calculation. I've seen people say, well, we don't think that's right. And the VC says, well, 100% of our portfolio companies are using um, CAC payback period, and your gross margin is at 62%, so it's much lower so. Maybe you're trying to hide the reality of your cap payback period. So people will question it. It's not just you don't know. It's like, why did you use that calculation, which makes your metric looks favorable? I'm going to give a a public company story about that. Um, Sure. Snowflake. What an amazing company. I only wish I could be one fourth as successful someday of what Snowflake has been. But they were on a earnings call and they talked about their net dollar retention and they were really proud of their 160% net dollar retention which says if you have 100 million dollars of existing customer revenue that should be 160 million dollars in a year because it's 160 right. and then later in the earnings call they gave guidance on how much their top line revenue is going to grow and they said we're going to grow 55% and An analyst said, well, wait a minute. Your existing customers are growing 60%, but as a company, you're only going to grow 55%? Your net is
2: shrinking 5 What's up with that?
0: (laughs) So so that's just a public company example, right, of metrics can really derail investors if it calls into the um, authenticity or integrity of the metric. And then third, and I think this is really important, is that you don't know how your internal metric measures up to the industry benchmarks and expectations of investors. So, so many people are so focused on, look, I've got me dashboards and I've got my reports and look at my, I'm uh, sorry to pick on marketing, but look at the amount of website visitors and marketing leads and even MQLs. The, the internal trend is just up and to the right, but you're... CAC ratio is at the fifth percentile. So 95% of people are better than you because you're not looking at the efficiency <laughs> rough. of that. And often it's because those metrics that you're measuring don't have a correlation to the ultimate outcome metric like new revenue or the efficiency of that new revenue growth. So you got to be measuring the right metrics that have a causal or at least correlated relationship to the outcome metrics investors care about.
2: And so is that where we get the term vanity metrics? We're picking things that just make us look good or feel good, even though they really don't affect the bottom line? Yeah, that's
0: probably the reason I created RevOps Squared actually was to try to get alignment between um, all the go-to-market functions, marketing, sales, and customer success. Now that's been expanded to finance and product. But um, I'd get into so many meetings, even as an operator, right? where the marketer shows amazing dashboards and the sales organization shows amazing dashboards. When I say amazing, the performance looks good, right? And the customer success and I'm like, but we're missing plan by 18%. How come you guys look good and we as a company look bad? And those are because they're measuring vanity metrics that we're humans. We wanna make our organizations look like they're succeeding that may not have direct impact on the company goals big mistake. I see a lot of companies make using vanity metrics, but they don't do it just because they're trying to make themselves look good. They may not even understand the correlation to the outcome metrics the investors want. So that's where a CEO and a CFO, they need to go on an educational journey with their operating executives of why these are the metrics we're presenting to the board, how they're calculated. Now let's talk about how your metrics can directly impact these metrics our investors care about.
2: So what do we do as leaders when we're getting that information? Is it just really understanding what it is and and deciding what to measure? Is it top down or is it bottom up?
0: Um,
2: i like to say both.
0: Um, However, at the end of the day, it's got to be really sponsored and communicated and supported by the CEO. So it's top down. The CEO is responsible to his or her executive team to say, these are the top three to four metrics that we care about for next year. Here's why. And now let's talk about the metrics that we want you to really be focused on that have the direct impact to these metrics we care about as a company. So they owe it to their executive team because we can't just expect the head of marketing to understand what net dollar retention is. And she might say... Well, how in the hell do I impact net dollar retention? Well, net dollar retention looks at existing customer retention plus existing customer growth. What are we doing for growth marketing with our existing customer base, et cetera, right? How much are we investing? How efficient and effective is it being? So now, at the same time, um, I have one of the terms that I use all the time is ABL, and People say, "Was oh, that like ABC, AOIS, BBC closing? Are you just an old sales guy? <laughs> it's like, no. ABL is what I think every person who's in a B2B SaaS company, but especially the executive team, should be doing to learn more about their industry and their craftiness, a- a- AOIS, BBL learning. There are so many great people to follow on LinkedIn. So many of the VCs have great educational content about the metrics that matter in B2B SaaS. If you just spend an hour a week kind of following two or three great thought leaders or learning about one metric from a venture capital website, you're going to be so much better informed and you as that head of marketing or head of sales or head of product are also going to be positioned to be that CEO of the future.
2: That's really, really good. So it's not just about the metrics. It's about uh, company growth. It's about your career growth. And you know, just staying the same is not going to get you where you want to go long term
0: and you might say i mean so many people like to pontificate in today's social media centric world right it's like oh yeah net dollar retention is top it's like okay ask the question what are the three things that your organization can do to impact net dollar retention and you get some people to say well we gotta increase or at least maintain our customer retention rate true We need to expand our ARR with existing customers. True. Now, how do you do that? What are the top two to three things that you're going to do to increase customer retention? And now somebody will say, well, we need to make sure that people are using and finding value from the product. That's true, right? Product engagement. How do you you measure that? How can you see that there's a trend line of product engagement measurements, maybe it's daily active users over monthly active users. Maybe it's a point in the product that's the high value aha moment, it's called an activation point, and you see a greater percentage of a user sitting at activation point. But every time somebody says, well, you just do this, right, you need to ask, how do you do it and how do you measure if it's working?
2: No, that's really smart. I think that last piece is what we forget so often, is, is we'll say, yeah, here, here's the, what we need to go do. And so then we go do it, but we really don't have a definition of success or a way to measure that. Right. Or we just say it's, it's better. Well, what, what does that mean? How do, we, how do we empirically know that it really is better? And is that what's affecting it?
0: Yeah. And I'll give you another example. Um, for, for sales leaders out there, win rate. Everybody knows what win rate is, right? It's of like, course. what percentage of my opportunities do I win? And, and measure, maybe if you're even more sophisticated, it'll be a percentage of revenue in the qualified pipeline that you close. But, okay, what are the leading indicators that tell me my win rate's going to go from 23 to 27%? Well, one thing you can do is look at your stage-by-stage stage opportunity funnel conversion rate. Okay, ah, I need to really increase my stage two to stage three because it's only a 48% conversion rate and I need to get it to 55 because that's gonna increase win rate, but it's where I'm going from my functional diagnosis or business discovery call to solution demo. It's like, well, maybe I'm not targeting the right ICP. Maybe I have the right, the wrong buyer personas. So there's a lot of things that you need to think about kind of upstream That are going to impact the ultimate outcome metric of win rate and you can start seeing positive trend lines on those earlier leading indicators
2: so with that just thinking about like win rate in particular um, if that's something that you're really focused in on how do you get sales reps not to sandbag deals or say oh this this really wasn't an opportunity so now my win rate is is higher
0: Uh Um, no magic bullet here but One of the benchmarking surveys we've done is around forecasting accuracy, right? And anybody who's been a revenue leader, it's like, they know how difficult it is to forecast new customer revenue. Because as you said, either sales reps are sandbagging or they have happy ears and they're committing deals that are never going to close, right? So when we did this research, we found that only 18% of companies make their account executives forecast. And the forecast can be kind of three buckets. It can be a commit, probable, or upside, right? But here's a very um, hot take, innovative way. I'm going to pay a X percent accelerator to AEs who deals that they forecast to commit this quarter actually close. And I'm going to pay a Y percent decelerator if they close on a subsequent quarter if they were in a commit category. Ah. Well, now that you can say was draconian, and maybe you just do the upside. You don't have the downside. Um, The CFO is going to like both, so it it still pays the X percent of new revenue. But it's one way to think, well, let's get my account executives who know the most about the deal anyhow, get them involved in the forecasting process. Not only is it most likely going to increase my forecast accuracy, which, by the way, 90% of companies have... (coughs) a plus or minus 10% margin of error on forecasts, not very good, right? Right. But if we are thinking about, I'm trying to help my AEs also become the future managers and leaders of the organization, it creates a discipline, a competency, and a muscle memory of good forecasting habits.
2: And ultimately, that's, that's what we want. We've got to be able to present that to the board, to investors, to, to other people. And, and that accuracy is so important, but it's so difficult to do.
0: It is. And once again, I, I could get on my high horse here. But one of the things, just having a really well-structured sales process, that's aligned to your known customer's buying process. That shouldn't be inside right. out, be outside in. And having, um, I was talking to the former SVP of sales of outreach on my Metrics Major Up podcast yesterday, um, Mark Kosiklo, great follow by the way. And he was talking about how he has two exit criteria. We used to call them gates for every stage. So you're not gonna move an opportunity from stage two to stage three until you've checked these two exit criteria. Why? Because we know that for customers who actually executed and were engaged in the buying process this way, are more likely to close. and. The worst thing you can do as an AE is invest time on deals that have really low probability of closing versus those that have really high probability of closing.
2: And that makes a lot of sense. And every company should definitely have those in moving forward on stages to to know, um, you know, some of it is, is just looking back, you know, what is that, what has the pattern been over time? So tracking that consistently. And then, you know, what is it that it takes them to move forward? How do we know and be able to forecast that percentage of close?
0: Right. And then and the, you're exactly right. And you, this journey continues to evolve. It's not a, a place in time. So maybe you do that for the entire pipeline, qualified pipeline today, tomorrow, maybe tomorrow, six months or 12 months from now, you look at it on a lead source by lead source or opportunity source. Oh, what's, the, what's the rate of the deals that come from outbound SDR activity versus strategic account based up, you know, generation versus inbound leads where somebody raised your hand and said, I want a demo. Because what you'll find is those win rates and the conversion rates at each stage of the opportunity final are materially different.
2: Absolutely. And when you don't measure it like that, it skews the numbers overall. So to think that a cold outbound SDR outreach is diff, is going to be the same win rate as an inbound or a partner referral, it, they're just so far apart.
0: Yeah, in fact, I'll give you a story. I do these things called SaaS metrics and benchmark assessments where companies ask me to come in, look at the metrics, how they compare. And this one, I was amazed. They were planning for 100% growth, and they were already a $50 million company the next year. And how do you build pipeline? Because to generate $50 million of incremental, you can say, well, I I have a 3X pipeline coverage ratio. So to get 50 million of new, I need 150 million of new pipeline, right? Right. But I said, well, let's look at that by your pipeline source. Sales development represents, SDRs was about 40% of their total pipeline generated. So if you need 100, 150 million, you can say, okay, they're going to generate 60 million. Their close rate on opportunities generated by outbound SDR activities was about three times lower than all their other close rates. So they needed a pipeline coverage ratio for SDR generated pipeline of nine to one. So if they were going to close, excuse me, 20 million from SDRs, they needed to generate a hundred, what's nine times 20, 180 million of SDR outbound activity. So it's those type of things where if you don't do cohort-based calculations as you grow, you're going to be set up for maybe a lot of disappointment.
2: Or investing a lot of money in marketing channels that are way inefficient instead of really looking and seeing what works, where are the real efficiencies and, and pouring gasoline on the fire there instead of, uh, you know, doing it in places where you're, you're spending a lot to get very little back.
0: Exactly. Here's... Another data point, right? And hopefully, your listening audience, they can, if you, you know, sit down and write this stuff down if you think it's valuable. But we just did a pipeline performance benchmarking program with Lean Data, Clearbit, and Atrium HQ, and Modern Sales Pros. Jeff, I was shocked at this. We asked, Mm -hmm. what percent of those, you know, do you measure the cost of sales and marketing to generate $1 of qualified pipeline? What percent of companies do you think said they did that, Jeff?
2: I would hope it'd be 80, 90 percent, but it's probably 10.
0: 18, 18 percent. Oh, wow. And I'm like, wait a minute. If you don't know how much you're investing in marketing program dollars to generate a dollar qualified pipeline, how do you ever make budget allocation decisions? So Make it up.
2: 10 percent more than last year.
0: Yeah. So if anybody, you know, is reading the Ray Wright Bible of SAS metrics, the first thing is thou shalt measure.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I like it. And then measure what matters and measure things that that make a difference that are actually going to move the needle, not things that uh, just make you feel good. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I'm actually, you know, they talk about if you're a carpenter, you need to measure twice and cut once, right? Before you build a dashboard. Before you build a report, stand back and say, what are the metrics and the the associated input data that really matter and that are going to be predictive as to how we drive revenue performance? Because if you spend the time really thinking about that and figuring out which measures are the most important, then honestly, it doesn't matter how pretty your dashboard is. It matters what the data tells you right? But pretty dashboards do not equal great decision-making.
2: 100%. And I've absolutely made that mistake. Yeah, early dashboards, it's, wow, we got this this great tool, and uh, and it, it it has information. But it wasn't exactly. something that really drove decisions. It wasn't something that, that moved the needle, but it, it looked really cool.
0: Exactly. And in today's world, right, there's a lot of great SaaS metrics or revenue um, dashboards, business intelligence tools. But I would say, take it to the next level now. You know, how does that vendor leverage any level of machine learning or artificial intelligence on top of your data to really provide some predictive insights into what's gonna happen in the future based on what's happened in the past? A very simple example. Um, one of the signals that really helps indicate what deals are gonna close or not is the level of engagement with the buyer. That might be emails, it might be meetings, Right? It's those signals that we know historically, if we had four meetings with the decision maker in a month, it was going to close. But if it's been six months since we met with the decision maker, we say the deal is going to close in 30 days. That's usually a signal that says it's not going to close. Up. I'm just making right. that one up. But there's a lot of great tools out there today that do apply that level of intelligence into the signals to help automate your forecasting process.
2: Very good. Where can people learn more about you and about RevOps Squared online? Um, Probably the best place um, is LinkedIn.
0: It's just Ray Reich, R-A-Y-R-I-K-E. I I post every day with kind of my metric insight of the day. Like this morning, I just posted about the benchmarks of sales and marketing expenses compared to revenue based upon company size and average annual contract value. So the Ray Reich at LinkedIn um, also at Ray Reich at Twitter. Um, I'm not as active on Twitter, but I do post some of my insights there, but probably most important, just go to RevOpsquared.com. RevOpsquared.com. Go to either the benchmark section where you can see all the different benchmarks for free and go to the media section. And there you can see not only all the amazing guests we've had on Metrics and Measure Up podcast, the founders and CEOs of Gong, Shellsloft, Clary, LinkedIn, DocuSign, Mercado, Gainsight, right? some of the the who's who of the industry, and they provide great insights on how metrics have helped inform their
2: growth journey. Fantastic, we'll make sure and link all of that in the show notes. Ray, i really enjoyed our conversation. appreciate you being on SaaS Fuel. Jeff, I cannot tell you how much I enjoyed the conversation. Thanks for inviting me. Well, thanks again to Ray for coming on the show and sharing your insights and resources. You know, one of the most important resources he talked about is the SAS benchmark report. You know, it's free which is hard to believe that anyone is giving away that kind of value without charging for it these days. But just shows you the kind of guy that Ray is. I mean, he wants you to be successful. He is really committed to the SaaS community. Uh, We run a a high-end mastermind for SaaS founders called Executive Navigation and often say that, to get where you wanna go, you have to know where you are. And Ray and RevOps Squared provide that invaluable piece of a puzzle. So learn more about Ray and the SAS Benchmark Report at RevOpsSquared.com. As always, all links, highlights, resources, including a link to that SAS Benchmark Report and full show notes are available at sasfuel.com. Please subscribe or follow us at sasfuel.com. Subscribers is a key metric that we track. Everyone who subscribes this week gets a 16% increase or decrease in any SAS metric you want. You pick it, we'll add 16 to it. You now, Adjusted metrics may not reflect actual data, but they'll look good. Subscribe or follow us today. Join us next episode for our conversation with Thomas Smale, CEO of FE International. Thomas is a serial entrepreneur who's exited a few times and now advises founders on exit strategy growth and business development. They've done about 1,200 advisories on exits. Pretty incredible. We've seen a lot of turmoil in valuations over the last two quarters. So what does all that mean for you and me? Well, Thomas will break it down for us, what he sees in the marketplace and how we keep valuations up for the long term. So be sure to check it out next week. And until then, Happy New Year, y'all, and enjoy the journey.
1: Thanks for listening to SAS Fuel. Full show notes for each episode, which includes a summary, key takeaways, quotes, and any resources mentioned are available at sassfuel.com. Be sure to follow and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're enjoying the content and getting value from these episodes, please leave us a rating and review at ratethispodcast.com slash sassfuel. We'll be sure to read these out on future episodes.